Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus. Amen. You'll recall that in confirmation class we learned about the three uses of God's law, three ways that it acts on us. And the first way is the curb. Like the curb at the side of the road that keeps the car going on the right path, the law draws a line and says, stay on the right side of that line. Do not lie, do not steal, do not kill. The second use of the law is that of a mirror. The law of God is a standard of holiness for us. Have no other gods. Do not bear false witness against your fellow man. Don't covet anything that your neighbor has. Honor your father and your mother. And this mirror, when we look into it, shows us what we are really like. It reveals all our blemishes, reflects the truth of our sinfulness. We see that we have failed to obey God's law. We aren't satisfied with what we have and we covet. We have not always honored our parents. We don't always seek the good of our neighbor. The law condemns and we see how far we are from the holiness that God demands. And then we are led to confess our sin to Almighty God, and, and for the sake of Christ, who has borne our sin, God freely and fully forgives everything. In the third use of the law, the law acts to guide the Christian in ways of holy living. The Apostle Paul speaks very candidly about his struggle with the sin that still dwells within him. He says, I don't do the good that I know I should do, but I find myself instead giving in to sin. One day when Christ returns and we are resurrected with incorruptible and perfect sinless bodies, we will no longer need the law, but we will live it naturally. Until that time comes, the law shows us how it is that God would have us live as his children. And in our epistle reading today, Paul's words act as that guide, encouraging us in our Christian life. He writes to the Christians who live in Rome, but his words are inspired by the Holy Spirit and are meant for us here today as well. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil. Live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves. If your enemy is hungry or thirsty, give him food and drink. What these words of Paul prove beyond a shadow of a doubt is that Christianity is unnatural to us and even counterintuitive. These are not sentiments that naturally resonate with us. They're not our first response when someone accuses us or wrongs us in some way, or even when someone simply disagrees with us. Now, it's not that we don't recognize by the grace of God that we should respond and react in this way, it's just that it's not natural to our old Adam. It's the opposite of the way our human nature reacts. We know from God's word that our human nature is fallen. It's broken. 
And it's the opposite of what it should be. And here, in Paul's letter, God instructs the believer as to what life in the Spirit looks like, how the children of God are to act, how we are to work at overcoming evil, even our own evil natures, overcoming them with good. What does it mean, for example, to love one another with brotherly affection? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are all made family together. We are bound to each other. United in our baptism and by the body and blood that we share in the Lord's Supper, we are family. Therefore, love one another with brotherly affection. And how does that love manifest itself? How does the Christian live? What does it mean that we are salt and light in the world? Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. The Greek word here for outdo means to go first, lead the way, get out in front, outdo one another in honoring and showing deference to one another. To do that, we need to be humble ourselves and not be looking for others to honor us. Boy, is that hard for us. How many times have we pouted or even become angry or held a grudge when someone doesn't honor us the way we think they should? Paul says, bless those who persecute you. And I think this means much more than that we should bless those who persecute us for our faith. Certainly, there is that. And there are cases where we might be shunned at a party by someone or left out of a conversation in the break room at work because people know that we're a Christian. But I think this admonition goes beyond persecution for the faith, saying that we should speak well of someone and even pray God's blessing on them when they cut in front of us in line or when they take advantage of our mistake when they ridicule us or, or make fun of us or, or when we're unjustly accused of having wrong motives. Bless them and do not wish them ill. If you want to shift a little in your seats, that's all right because I'm squirming inside as I say this. Blessing them is not the first thing on my mind, but rather thoughts of judgment and condemnation for their actions. I immediately place myself above them and, and I sit in judgment, even to the point that I think I know their motivations, which of course I think are evil. I condemn their action and pronounce their sentence in my mind, and in so doing, I place myself where God alone should be. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I recognize that I am haughty and conceited. I claim the right to judge the motivations and actions of others. I think I know what's true. I know what's right and fair and just. I hold people to a high standard because I think I have a high standard for myself. I once got into the checkout line at Sprouts, and there were a couple of people ahead of me, 
I was in a hurry, and other lions seemed to be moving more slowly than this one, and I congratulated myself for finding a lion that I hoped would get me out quicker. Then, as I was waiting, I just happened to look around behind me, and I saw that there were about ten other people, waiting patiently, spaced six feet apart by the marks on the floor. I hadn't noticed the lines for the other open cashiers also extending into the aisles, ten and twelve people deep. I sheepishly got out of line and mouthed sorry to those waiting patiently in line, and I imagined what they must have thought of me. I imagined it because that's what I would have thought. This guy doesn't care that we've been waiting here for twenty minutes. How rude of him! When I unintentionally cut into the line, there may have been people judging me, condemning me, when they really had no idea why I got into the line. Some of them were probably sure that I didn't care that I was slighting them. But here again is an illustration of my own conceit, elevating myself in thinking that I knew what was in their minds. They could very well have been thinking kind things of me. Look at this poor old guy, not aware that the line is way back here. That's probably what happens to a person when they lose their hair. Or they might have been thinking, this guy probably just had hip replacement surgery and can't stand for very long. Or he probably has a pressing appointment and can't, sp can't spend the time waiting in line. I'm glad for him. I was judging them in thinking that they were thinking ill of me when I really had no idea what they were thinking. And just how far does this admonition of Paul's, this encouragement to holy living go? Well, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry or thirsty, Give him food and drink. Seriously? Your enemy? The one that hates you? The person that is plotting to do you harm? To ruin you? Paul writes, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The plan to overcome evil with good certainly originated with God. When he faced the problem of evil and the ruinous results of sin, God didn't send destruction. He sent his Son. And Christ didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to bring holiness. He lived a holy life of obedience. He was kind and good. He was not haughty or conceited. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced and wept with those who wept. He associated with the lowly. He did not repay the evil done to him with evil, but prayed that his father would forgive those crucifying him. He died at the hands of evil men to redeem them from their sins. He answered hate with love. He answered sin with righteousness. He came face to face with pure evil and conquered it with good. He paid your debt and penalty 
and called you to freedom and everlasting life with him through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, through absolution and grace. Now he calls you as his brothers and sisters to live as those redeemed by him. He wants you to face the fallen world as he did, with holiness and compassion and patience and humility and love. It isn't the easiest way to do things. It required Jesus to go to the cross, and it may well require you to take up your cross and suffer to follow him. The Lord doesn't want you to be surprised by it or or to have any illusions. He doesn't want you to give up in the face of the evil that you will encounter, but to overcome that evil with good, just as he did. He has given us gifts and blessings to help us endure and stand firm. There's the Lord's Supper. It regularly refreshes us, brings us forgiveness to our lips and hearts, and connects us with our Lord personally. He has given us absolution to remind us that the war has been won already, and all we fail to do here has already been done by Him so we can stand faithfully behind him and face whatever comes, knowing that our endurance doesn't depend on us alone, but on Christ. And that assures us that we will never be alone. He'll be holding us through all of it. And he has given us one another, the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to comfort us and encourage us and support us in the struggle. And we have also been given the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to lead and guide our thoughts and works. And we have the Holy Scriptures, the very Word of God. And while all else changes around us, often at a dizzying pace, the Word of God stands firm and unchanged. The promises of God and His grace are new every morning. So we have the plan of God for our lives in brief before us. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. It's one of those plans that makes no sense to us except in Christ and by His grace and blessing. It is contrary to our nature and to our human way of thinking. And frankly, it's way beyond our ability to fulfill in and of ourselves. The power for us to do this is His. And so we give Him our thanks and praise, even as we cry, Come, Lord Jesus. In His glorious name, Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all human understanding Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.